Welcome to another TMG interview. My name is Paul Preston, talking movies with an actor who does something different than most actors we've interviewed in the past. He's a voice actor, so his work will speak better than any description I could give it. Let's take a listen. When the witches cast a spell, the mice will set a trap. The Witches. Rated PG only on HBO Max. Don't miss the movie audiences and critics are raving about. <laughs> one of the best-reviewed films of the year is now the number one movie in the world. Ford versus Ferrari tomorrow. Now, naturally, I played movie trailers. I'm a movie guy. But this actor has performed with his voice for commercials, promos, narration, and more. Clients ranging from major sports like the NHL and Major League Baseball to Old Spice, Jack in the Box, and more. He's done narration for the Smithsonian Channel and True TV and comedy bits for The Late Late Show with James Corden. Oh, he likes comedy bits. <laughs> That's going to go well. Uh, we'll put that uh, skill to use today. And then um, it's also worth noting that he's the voice behind the audiobook for Dan Bronson's Someone to Watch Over Me, available at Amazon and Audible. Of course, we had Dan on the show here a while back, and you can dig through the TMG, uh, the movieguys.net archives, and find that interview. But for now, please welcome Jack Daniel. Yeah! Thanks for having me, guys. It's a real treat. Jack, you're in L.A., right? But um, Correct. Uh, I want to get to working on campaigns such as Ford versus Ferrari, probably my favorite movie of the Love that movie. movies in your credits. <laughs> I also like Birds of Prey. Um, but I want to talk about how you got here. I hear mm -hmm. your voice clearly. It feels like a voice destined for doing uh, voiceover <laughs> in many different forms. But at what age do you realize you can make money with your voice? Money, I'm not so sure, but I've always been interested in announcing and this type of thing because even as a kid, I would watch those guys on TV. And I grew up in Philadelphia, and my whole family has the Philly accent. I don't know if you know that, but it's like I'm going down the shore. I'm going to go wash my clothes, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, but at five, I decided I was going to get rid of the accent. So by the time I was maybe seven or eight, I had sort of let that accent go. Uh, because I wanted to sound like the neutral guys that I saw on, on the networks and in movie trailers and all that. So it was kind of always there, that, the idea of wanting to be in that world. And uh, then I became an actor. I did a lot of theater um, starting in high school. In college, I did a ton of theater. And after college, a bunch of people that I worked with and I started a theater company in D.C., Washington, D.C., and we did a bunch of stuff from, uh, I did stuff at like the Shakespeare Theater and all that, but we also did a bunch of contemporary plays, David Mamet, all kinds of things like that. And I did some movies. I did some, uh, as an actor uh, in, in comedies and um, other films, I did some stuff. But it wasn't until much later when I was living in San Francisco and um, living a much more normal life, I suppose, but I got involved with a sketch comedy group and uh, we would travel around a little bit and have a lot of fun doing these shows. But at one of these events, um, a guy said to me, you know, I hear you and I'd love to bring you into my studio. I, I run a voiceover studio. So would you be interested in that? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Do you, would I get paid? And they're like, yeah. So I did it and I was absolutely awful. I mean, because as you've probably heard. It's not about having a nice voice. It's not about this and that. It's about knowing what to do. It's how to be a professional, how to give the reads that they need. And I had no, none of this knowledge. So I really failed miserably. Then later in um, the mid 20s, like around 2014 through 2016, I started getting really interested in voiceover and started taking classes and all that. Moved to LA in 2017 and things just started. I got really lucky. and uh, But I also worked really hard and things took off for me. Jack, I wanted to ask you, 
with your training and such, like with acting, you've got types of acting, like method yeah. acting, Stanislavski and such. Is there a special type of acting for voice acting? Is there special classes for that? Well, I would say that if you did things like animation and games, that's just acting. And in fact, it's, it's in many ways harder than acting for film or, or stage because you have no one else necessarily to interact with. You have to create the world all around you and you have to be there. Um, I do very little of that work, at least now, but um, the stuff I do is really closer to announcing. Like a movie trailer, it's it's certainly acting because you have to, there are different tones that you want to go for. There, You have to be in a place or have an idea of what's going on. But let's face it, it's, it's, it's more about, um, it's more of a craft than I would say an art in, in a lot of ways. But I would say that all the acting I have done has certainly helped me and helps me to get into places maybe quicker or change gears faster, that type of thing. Is that addressing your question or did yeah, I just, yeah. I do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it come down to direction probably, right? Like if someone wants Absolutely. the drama, they're going to ramp that up in you, in their direction to you. Yeah. Right. And they all, most of the producers you work with, they know exactly what they want. And you, you'll hear a lot that they don't know, but they usually do have a pretty good idea. I find in, at least with the people I work with and they're like, Hey, we want this kind of read. It's, and if they know me, they might say, you know, the read you did for this, we want that, but add a little of this to it or a little more wonder or something. And they can move from there and then redirect you and you can be out in five minutes and, you know, have done most of a campaign or something. So it can be really fast work. It can also be grueling. I can be in the booth here for hours at a time, especially with commercials where they have more time um, and, and often more people involved. And so you might just keep doing things over and over and over again to try stuff out because sometimes they're like, we have this idea, but we'd also like to see what you have to add. Do you have any ideas? I'm like, yeah, can I try this? And they'll be like, oh, that's cool. Don't like it, but it was cool you know, or whatever. What's the longest session you've ever been through? Ah. <sighs> Well, I would say with with uh, the audio book that I did for Dan, okay. um, because you know you're you're it's it's a little bit grueling, and you have to maintain tone over days and days and weeks. Um, you have to remember who's who's who and all that type of thing. But I would try to sit in the booth for a few hours at a time. Actually, now that I say that though, it's not the longest one because I've done stuff that I've been in the booth for like five hours, and it's because it was really long. Um, uh, uh, pieces like for a show or something where they, oh, they have okay. so much, you know, ins and outs and all this interstitial stuff. And so you're just doing tons and tons of work. And, you know, it's, I would think it's harder for them because all I'm doing is talking. Do you have one that you recall that was just so, meaning a commercial probably or a movie trailer that was so grueling you went, I can't wait to get out of here? Honestly, no. I mean, this is such uh -huh. a, it's such a treat to do this job. Um, I'm just grateful every time I get to come in here and work. So I, uh -huh. I, I never feel that way. Uh -huh. So you get, I? Uh, would, I, would I be cooler if I did? <laughs> storm off the set or two, you know what I mean? Right, a little, little diva stuff might help me. Yeah. You sit there and go, that Dan Doritos commercial, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> so coming here in 2017, had you recorded demos then elsewhere at the, of the first guy who spotted you, his voiceover studio? No, uh, I didn't. Um, at that time, I had no idea what the business was about, what you had to do. Demos. And what year was that? Oh, gosh, that was probably back in 2005 or something like that. Okay. This was way before I actually thought, oh, this could be, a you know, this actually ties a lot of things that I love together, including my love of movies. And 
anyway, but no, it was, it's later I started investigating and like almost everybody who starts out, you just don't know. You don't, you have no idea what you don't know and, you know, what it takes and how, you know, who to know and who to call and what do I need to do? So I stumbled and made every possible mistake you can make in getting into voiceover. Um, and then even left it because I thought after a while, uh, this isn't going to work for me. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, it doesn't seem like it's, it's going to make me enough money to live um, so I left and you know went back to my corporate job and was doing that when I decided, you know what, I got to give it at least one more shot. And it really is about tenacity and, and determination. If you don't really, really want to do this, then what, you just don't even start. It would be my oh, that goes for every aspect Absolutely. of the entertainment business. There are 2,000 yeah. people behind you. Hungry. For every everything in the world is yeah. the same, right? You just yeah. have to decide you're going to do that thing and learn about it and then do it. Because there's a line behind you. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, that's the truth, you know, and they yeah. want it more if you don't. So, um, so then, we, so what we're talking about is an, is an era where the technology hasn't changed much in the time you've been really invested here. That's something I wanted to talk about because I was oh, in my garage the other day. I found an old cassette tape of my voiceover <laughs> demo, you know, yeah. and I was wondering if, you know, you adapted with the times for that because I started a production company back in 2006 and even that was starting with mini sure. DV tapes and now we're in a whole new world. So did you see any of that technology develop or? It's, or? it's changed so much even in the last few years um, because ISDN, you know, the way of connecting two studios for real-time interaction and recording um, was prevalent when I started getting getting into the business. And I still have ISDN, but it, I, I don't think I've used it in a year. Because um, studios now, basically what they do is they use, use one of the other technologies like Source Connect or IPDTL. These are just brand names for types of connections over the web. Um, or more likely and much more often, they'll just call me on a phone patch line where they can hear me in here and I'm talking to them and they can hear me through my microphone. And um, I will record it myself and then send them that file in a WAV format. I'll upload it to a service that I have and then they'll pick it up and then they'll edit it and treat it or whatever they're going to do. But that itself, even within the last few years, has changed dramatically. And there are new players coming in trying to get that market because it's not just us, it's musicians and everyone else who needs to connect to studios remotely. And of course, the whole COVID thing yeah, sped yeah. that process up in, in many ways. That was my follow-up question. You know, I listened to, uh, I'm a big Howard Stern fan. And so mm. I, he immediately went in his basement at, when COVID took over and started doing shows over zoom and they were, he was like, he couldn't do that more than a week before he had a whole hazmat team in there building his home studio. <laughs> and by the, the next week, the show sounded like everyone's in studio, but they're not because they had all the technology, but not everybody has that. So no. I was curious where you stood now. So you have a home studio and you get everything done. Uh, I, you're a one, yeah. you gotta be a one man team too, kind of these days, right? Yeah. 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 Um, my fiance, Wendy helps me out a lot, but um, it, it is. It's pr pretty much me. But on the other hand, I also have an agent. I have a manager. Those people are helping me procure the work, um, negotiate, the, you know, do all the really hard business stuff. And they have the relationships with so many of these people. Like the trailer business is particularly um, insular in that, you know, the people in all the trailer production houses, they don't have time to be auditioning a lot of people and doing all that. They don't, they don't have the bandwidth because they're working like 12 hour days just to cut these things. So it's ready for tomorrow to show to the studio. Um, so what they need is a relationship with someone, an intermediary, like my, my manager's named Jason Helsner. He's one of the four big managers. And what they do is they have these relationships with, you know, Sony, Disney, Warner brothers, you know, everybody, all the studios and, and then they will ask him, hey, Jay, 
can you get me, give me the three guys who best for this. And then, you know, I might be one of those guys. I might not, but you know, it might be someone else on the roster like Scott Rummel or, or Jeff Collins. Um, you know, and, and it just depends what they're looking for. I do tend to go on and on. So you can just go like this. (laughs) (laughs) Jack, I find it interesting during the whole COVID situation. You said you and I talked a little bit and you had mentioned that before COVID, Nobody was interested really in what you look like because you're mm, doing right. And then for some reason, it changed. Yeah. Uh, you said people started wanting to see you uh, on Zoom and such. What, how do you think that plays into your hiring? You know, I don't know if it's, if it's so much about the hiring because they know as well as I do that how I look doesn't matter. You know, in, in, in terms, I think it's more that if you can see someone, you might be able to direct them better or see how you can. See, they might be able to see what I'm doing um, when I'm doing a read. And they're like, could you just maybe, you know, put your hands down and just be very still and do that read again or, or maybe be more animated or something like that. But it doesn't happen often because even with Zoom, which has become a sort of default technology when there's a bunch of people on the line and it's not just one CD or producer I'm ta- talking to. In those cases, they might use Zoom more to see each other and communicate with each other, whereas I'm mostly connecting through another technology and they're not even seeing me. They're just hearing my voice because they're looking at their own video. They want to see how it's matching, how it's fitting, all that sort of thing. But to go back, I'm sorry, I didn't quite answer your question. I do have a studio, as you can see. Um, I have this and then another room where I sit and do my email and editing and all that type of thing. But um, it is absolutely necessary for anyone in, in the promo, promo and trailer worlds to have their own studio. It, always, it has been for at least a couple of decades. But now, even animation and game people and people who do commercials need it too. Because a lot of the studios are, are slowly letting people back in. But now people are used to working at home and using these other technologies. So they're like, you know, must have... These, these things, uh, Booth, con- Source Connect, whatever the technologies are, they're expected to have that. So I was lucky because I already had all this. It was part of my world already. You were well dampened in there, Jack. Your sound is well dampened. <laughs> the best compliment I've ever received. <laughs> all right, so I want to take the next uh, handful of questions to talk about just the process, uh, breaking it down. Um, uh, again, Ford versus Ferrari is the one of my favorite movies of late one of my top 10 from 2019 for sure um and but feel free to answer these questions within you know tangential movies you've worked on as well uh Mm -hmm. so but ford versus far you get great talent christian bale matt damon you got fantastic director and james mangold so again i want to break down timeline and process when do you get the call to come aboard as a trailer voiceover guy are they even done with the movie do they need to be well, for instance, with that movie, I was not the main campaign voice. That was Ashton Smith, who is okay. you've probably heard of. He's been in the business for a long time. He's one of the top two or three guys every year. You know, he's just a fantastic talent. Um, so he was the main guy on that. But um, sometimes I'll be, because there's uh, competing trailer houses now. It's not like they say, okay, you, you have this movie. You might have most of the spots as a trailer house, but a couple other ones might be doing different spots. And so for those spots, they might have a different talent, either scratching for or to being the voice of the spot. And scratching is a term I don't know if you're familiar with, but it basically means leaving a temporary track down so that they can edit it and do all that before they let someone else come in and, and voice it. Now, a lot of what, times what happens, and that's the way I actually got my start in trailers, is you will do that temporary scratch, but then this 
the studio says, you know what? We, we like that guy. Um, what's his name? Okay, what's his rate? Oh, really? That's not that. And so and then they'll, they'll, they'll keep you uh, in, in the movie. And that's how I got my first couple of campaigns, at which point suddenly the managers were interested in me, uh, um, which, only, you know, which only makes sense. But with Ford versus Ferrari, um, I was working with a trailer house that actually was the first trailer house I ever worked with, uh, the first movies I ever worked with. And they had me scratching on those spots because they had some additional spots like five or six additional spots. And the studio was like, we like him. Let's, let, in fact, we like him, but we're also going to have him, if you don't mind, while we have him on your fiber line, uh, we would like him to read a couple of things for another trailer house, you know, that we have. So that could happen. And, uh, you know, you just never know. So I got really lucky. I, I would say that was a lot of luck, but I just had, it was right place, right time. And I was thrilled because I love that movie. It's one yeah. of my favorite movies of the last 10 years, probably. Do you against have a correct? Oh, go ahead, Paul. No, just work begets work, as, as you're it, it, proof, and everybody yeah. pretty much who has a story can prove. Absolutely. What happens is you often get a script, but often there'll be no direction or minimal direction. It might say, cool, laid back read, uh, but, but, but with energy, you know, or something like that, where you're not really sure where to start. So what you have to do is rely on your ability to quickly break down. And I mean quickly, because usually you got to turn stuff around within a half hour or so. So you got to learn how to break down the script, see what they're going for. Um, try to maybe if there's a, a a red band trailer or something out there to see what the movie's about if you don't already know if it's not a franchise or whatever, get the mood of it and then figure out what you're going to try to do and do that lay it down get it back to your manager so he can get it to the studio and they can start reviewing to see if you're a good fit. Mm-hmm. So a lot a lot of this business is really about quickness in the sense of being able to understand what it is they might be looking for how that matches up with your skill set, deliver those things and to do it all as quickly as possible because the timeline has gone from weeks to produce a spot to hours and days mm-hmm. at best. Let me, let me ask you, do you have a preference as far as like sports announcing over movie trailers or commercials or is it whatever brings you the money? <laughs> you know, on a, it, it is true. It, it sounds like a truism, but it's true that if, if you do this job or any other job for the money, you're it's probably not going to work out because okay. although it can be very lucrative, um, if that's your focus, you're, you're it, it's just not going to mix. It's not going to gel in my opinion. Um, but that said, um, I do love all the different forms. I do. I love doing narration, but I, I, of course, trailers is close to my heart because I've always been a, a movie guy. Um, and I was, that to me was always the top of the mountain was being able to get to that. So I was incredibly thrilled to break into movie trailers as quickly relatively speaking, as I did, you know, having started later, but, um, you know, it happened pretty fast and I'm super grateful for that, but I love promo too. I mean, promo is fun. It's exciting. It's, it's, you know, all the shows change all the time, but uh, so do the movies, I would say I have certain pocket reads that I prefer for my voice. Like I love doing, um, heavier dramas. I love thriller type things. A movie like Ford versus Ferrari is is the perfect movie in my opinion, in in terms of what I like, because it combines so many thrilling things and styles for me. Um, but I, I can do and often do things like fantasy and comedy, like I did the witches campaign, which is not usually what people would think of for my voice, because I'm, you know, much more on the, the, the lower end of the pool. Um, but you might think it'd be a higher, um, more engaging, more family voice, but you we're know, having fun, right? We're having yes. fun. And hey, we're honestly, having fun, right? It's a mood, it's a feeling, and if it, it can fit in different ways. And I try to think that I like to think I have something of a range, although I I don't kid myself that I have a terrific range. 
your family will avoid death watching <laughs> the witches. Wait a minute. That's too dark. That's too dark. <laughs> darker. Darker. <laughs> yeah. um, by the way, I'm going to isolate. I'm a movie guy and probably use that to promote this because it's uh, <laughs> said it in your great voice. I'm a movie guy. <laughs> there you go. Scale plus 10, though. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, yeah. so who directs you? Uh, I Like in Ford versus Freud, does James Mangold have a say? Does he want to say? Or is it just a bunch of ad team guys making it, getting it done? No, I don't think they usually, at that point, the director's work is done. Um, really, we're kind of more on the marketing end of things, right? Because the movie's done. It's the last thing they have to worry about. And so they're, they're trying to get these spots done that show the best of what that movie's about. And then we're either telling a story or we're just saying, you know, Ford versus Ferrari, rated PG-13. That might be the all we get to say yeah. in a spot. But uh, the, 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 it has to just somehow fit what they're trying to do. Um, and I'm, I'm losing track. Oh, you were asking about who directs me. Usually it would be the person at the trailer house who is um, either the voiceover person. They often will have a, a guy or girl whose job is to work with voiceover talents, get them to record, and then they, they share that with their producers who are already in there tr desperately trying to get their cutting done and everything, getting their musical synced up and all that. Um, but often, more often, it's nobody will direct me. I'll, I'll get the copy with some notes and they'll say, okay, lay it down. And that means recording in a, a def different ways, different speeds, like I slow, medium, fast, doing that for each line so they can lift a line from different reads and say, oh, this will fit better here. Um, but also doing some top to bottom reads so that, that they can, you know, see how it, how it hangs together and feels. So for us, it's more about being exhaustive and providing them with, with raw material, but also not wasting their time with a bunch of stuff that isn't going to work. So for what they're hiring with us is hopefully the knowledge of what they need, getting it to us as concisely as possible, but also not requiring them to come back and say, hey, you missed this, we need this faster, you know, or something like that, because the, they don't have the time to keep coming back to us. And of course, you can charge a director fee. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, sure, yeah, why not? Sure. <laughs> but do you ever rub elbows and with anybody who's like a hot shot, uh, or are you on the perimeter of all that? Do you ever like, I mean, hey, so-and-so's in here doing ADR today, so you get a chance to... I mean, you know, um, yeah, actually with ADR, you, I have worked with directors. Um, I've done a couple of ADR jobs, like on Ad Astra. I, I was one of the, the voices, the military voices in the background. Um, that was so much fun. Oh, my gosh, that was just so much fun, going to the Paramount Studios and just fantabulous studios that were just sound stages that I could only dream of as, as you know, my studio. Um, it would be overkill, but I could still dream. But... Uh, uh, gosh, I'm going to draw a blank on his name, the director of Ad Astra, which is also a very good movie. Um, but he came, and I was shocked that he was there, honestly. But he was still working on the movie, so it made sense. You know, the director's got his hands in, is responsible for every aspect of his film. Super cool guy. He knew exactly what he wanted, but he, and he had no airs about him. He was just like, hey, man, we're all working together. Let's get this done. Let's oh. have some fun. James Gray. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that was a blast. But for the most part, I don't. Um, I might get to work with some of the top people at the studios, which is, you know, in my mind is, is really more in my world, like some of the big creatives, um, at, you know, at the studios that say Warner Brothers or something. Um, but I do get to, because of my proximity to L.A. I'm actually west of L.A. We're, we're north of Malibu. But um, <clears throat> I, I lived in L.A. for a few years and I know a lot of people just because you're in you're in town. And you, you know, you go to events or something and you get to meet people and it's, it's just the, you know, life in LA is, is kind of like that. You get to run 
into a lot of people. You get to have dinner with him or it's really fun. So then you may have already answered this a little bit. When you get sent your package to add voiceover, See, I think with animation, I've heard people record the voices and the animators go to town. But it seems like here, you would, you might get the cut-together footage and have to hit the post on making sure you're out before an important image or something. Uh, how, which way does that work? With promo, the spots are usually always cut. Um, so I'm, I am doing it to time. They might say, okay, shave a half second off that. Perfect. Okay, we need three frames on this. You know, I mean, really minute bits of yeah, time. Three frames. But- yeah, I know, really. Wow. It's, and that's how it gets sometimes. <laughs> it won't usually be three, but it, yeah, it might yeah. be 10 frames, you know, or six I get it, frames. though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I've got, I've got to shave off just that bit without sounding hurried or whatever it is. Or, or that great, beautiful benefit of when they say, take your time a little bit on that line. And I'm like, really? I get to slow down. <laughs> because, you know, I get to chew the scenery a little bit or something. But usually it's, yeah, can you shave off 10 frames on that? Um, you're a little, you're a little behind, but with trailer, it's less so because it's much more, they're in the middle of the mix and they're trying to figure out what the spot's going to look like in the end. They have great ideas, but these people are cutting and changing things all the way up to the last second. Then the studio gives their notes and they change it again. Then the studio gives their notes and they're working their butts off to get this done. So I have some flexibility, but I do have to cover the ranges. So in the grossest sense, slow, medium, and fast. But they might say, okay, now give me one that's just crazy fast. You know, you will never use it. And then sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. Especially at the end, you know, tags, you know, rated PG-13. Oh, you know, that is, away. you know, I actually laugh at that sometimes when you'll see a whole trailer. <laughs> you see three minutes of the trailer. Then a guy comes out at the end and he, he just is like, Red Sparrow. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> who is this guy? I, th- I thought, you know, you'd think someone would be guiding you with their voice through the story or with whatever they want you to know about the movie. But there'll be nothing. And then he comes at the end, like you just said, Sicario. <laughs> Wait, what? It's hilarious. And yet, and yet, if that's all you have, you have to serve that spot somehow. And and, there, and maybe that means giving it a sense of majesty, maybe a, a sense of importance, uh, make it Oscar worthy. There's so many ways you can say, you know, Sicario, and but there's only one way or two or three ways maybe that are going to fit. And mm-hmm. it's a combination of your, your tone that you're bringing to it and what you can, what, how you can marry it to what they're trying to accomplish. But they know it when they hear it. Um, and that they'll try a few different people out on a spot, but they're like, no, that's the tone we want. That's what we need in this movie. No one wants so on this marketing even spot. With just with so much direction, even with just one word. And of course, yeah. shave three frames. And shave three frames. <laughs> <laughs> I can shave a half a frame. No, I'm kidding. I can't. When you're talking about speaking really fast, I think about the medications you see on TV. Right. They're talking about the and everything's wonderful and everything's sweet, but then they rush through all the stuff that could be. Yeah, you could. You could yeah. get cancer. You, you could do this. Brain tumor. Well, that's just covering legal. You know, I mean, that's and, and there's yeah. no there's no art to that other than get it out quickly and, and do be hearable. But you know, especially on radio, you'll hear you know this product is not blah 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 blah, and so you can barely understand what they're saying. But it's purely yeah. because legal requires it. Um, it's, I can't even believe it's legal because it's almost yeah, it's almost hard to hear. Yeah, well, I read I read that if it happened once ever, you gotta and now like. Five billion right. people have taken this, but it happened to one person could cause megaloblastic anemia. You know, you're like, what? Right. Exactly. It happened once. Exactly. Yeah, I haven't done many um, pharma ads, but it's okay. it's a great business. And I, I, I admire the people who get those because, you know, they can be they can be very lucrative because they play so often. Yeah. Which reminds me of, an, uh, of another question. 
are there residuals? Because he seems like commercials. And if you're acting in a commercial as an actor on screen for Burger King or whatever, the more it plays, the more money you make. Uh, for an ad campaign, obviously, like a commercial seems like the voiceover would be. But for a promo, for a movie that has a limited time, for some, I mean, can it go? Can it have a certain market length or what's the word I'm looking for? A certain uh, cycle length uh, that cycle. it would play for. Yeah. And, and, and it's a good question. And the answer is mixed because for commercials, absolutely. You know, I'm a member of SAG-AFTRA and um, there are rules governing that. And when a commercial plays, you get your session fees, but then you, depending on where it plays and how often you get paid residuals, you know, is it one cycle? Like you say, 13 weeks, is it, you know, does it go on for that? There are different contracts, but I tell you that, the, the holy grail for most people is a class A commercial. And when I've done those, I, you know, it's like, holy cow, it, it just, you know, the checks come in, you know, you, you did the work six months ago and the checks are still coming in. You're extremely grateful, but that's, that's wonderful when you get a class A commercial, but with promo and trailer, they're designed to live just for a short period, not even a cycle. Usually it's just a few weeks or something or for promo a, few, a day, you know, whatever it is. So there's no residuals for that, even though it's governed under the SAG-AFTRA. Um, you just have your rate. Everyone has their own rate. Um, and whatever you can command is, is basically your rate. Uh, with promo, it's, it's much with trailer. That's the case. There is a SAG rate, but most people have their own rate that's on top of that. With promo, pretty much you get whatever the SAG rates are. And there's you know so many hundreds of dollars for each spot, for each tag. They add up. And it's wonderful when you have to do a lot, you know, this Thursday, this Tuesday, you know, tomorrow, tonight, now, you know, whatever you're going to say, each of those adds up to, a, you know, dollars. And that's wonderful when that happens. And that's also great for trailers, because typically what happens, you get your rate plus um, a percentage of that rate for every single tag. So it's like, you know, this Thursday, or, you know, you know, tomorrow, tonight, each of those is worth some percentage of your rate, mm -hmm. which I won't say because it seems obscene. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed there's a different direction with trailers compared to the years before, mm. uh, especially say the '70s with Papillon, High Plains Drifter, The Exorcist. Yeah. So, and it, it, how does how do you see it as far as is it generational they're the, that they're going to change these movie trailers and ask for different mm. types of voices? Let's talk about William Friedkin's The Exorcist. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the, the moment that trailer comes on, it is so foreboding. And that guy's <laughs> voice is so deep. Yeah. And you've rarely seen a trailer like that. So right. let's, check, let's check it out. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. <laughs> the world of darkness. expected it nobody believed it and nothing could stop it the only hope the exorcist now you know what think about how different they would make that trailer today and like you're suggesting it probably wouldn't be voiced much um it might just be at the end you know the exorcist you know, or, or something like that. Um, but because that style, it consisted of not giving away the movie, which was, it's more common now to show more of the movie, I think. It was more like, here's the mood of the movie. You know, this is, we're going to tease you more. I think that was the style in the older days. 
But that's just a brilliant trailer. It's uh, because first of all, Ellen Burstyn is so good in that movie; it's insane. The the movie itself is one of the top ten movies, perhaps, of the last fifty years. I would venture to say, um, and William Friedkin just was a genius at putting that movie together. It just blows me away how good it is. Did you guys see, in fact, that recent documentary about William Friedkin and The Exorcist and all the stories he has? You've got to see it. It will blow you away. Um, it's just, he was, you know how the movies like Casablanca were said to be hexed in the sense that everything went wrong, and yet you still got this great movie. Well, in this movie, things just kept going right. You know, like, you know, he kept, he, he felt like he kept lucking into it, but it's almost like he was in a flow state for whatever n number of months it took him to make the movie. But uh, not to get off, too off track, but Lordy, it's a, it's a good documentary. So I would highly recommend checking it out. But today it would be much less VO probably. Um, I think that's the trend these days. It's been so for maybe, you know, 10 or 15 years. And like most things, it's probably cyclical, cyclical. I can't talk. I should yeah, um, why are you and, doing voice? Uh, I know why. <laughs> like my contract says no cyclicals. If it says cyclical, I'm not saying it. I'll say like it's a circle. Um, Circle-ish. Circle-ish. Circle <laughs> but I do think it will come back more. Um, why? Because there's a connection that you make with the viewer that you can't get just by showing even dialogue lines from the movie because it's another person that's an intermediary between the movie and you. And I think also a lot of people view not lazily, but uh, they're not sitting there directly in, uh, intent on the, on the TV screen. They might be doing dishes or something else. And if you just hear the movie, you might not, it might not make an impression. Um, but if you hear a, a voice, that's, our, that's human beings. We like to hear voices draw us in and make that connection. So I think there will be people who will re-exploit that connection. It will be different. It will always be different, you know, this next iteration. But uh, it, it will come back, in my opinion. It's also my hope, so maybe that's not a fair opinion. And, and I'm just curious, have you ever been asked to do an accent? Like, mm -hmm. Because I've actually see, seen trailers where the narrator has an accent like the French Connection. Right. The guy had like a New York accent. Yeah, and it, which is a very unusual choice because then it might sound too much like you're of the movie as opposed to showing the movie you know, which is a different role. But, you know, people try different things, and I love that people are so creative. Uh, but, yeah, uh, English is an accent, uh, or British, whatever you want to call it. I'm um, using you know, more of like a RC type of British accent. I've done that a few times um, and just did one this week. Um, I won't say what it is, but it was a, it's a major uh, release, and they wanted a British voice. And what's funny, like, without getting into it too much, but I remember I, I was actually, in that case, I was on with a very high-up exec, who had a very specific idea of what she wanted. But at one point I was doing the voice and, you know, doing the read and she goes, I don't want you to be insulted. And of course, when you hear that, I'm like, Oh no, yeah. <laughs> but could you do it more British? Cause I guess I was, maybe I'd be relaxed so, it a little bit. I mean, I'm not like a specialty guy. I, I don't have the training that say Kate Blanchett has in, in doing an American accent. You know, right, I just right. like doing British accents. So I will sometimes be called to do that. Um, but I'm sure it slips here and there. And I think she was politely saying, like, concentrate, don't slip into an American accent. I want this to sound like you're really British, as opposed to someone doing an accent, you know. So that was fun, though. But it was a challenge. And you don't want to come in with too much, like, hello, governor, well, <laughs> check out the latest romance from Britain, right? You're in luck, because I just watched Dick Van Dyke, and he does a great British accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he does. Yeah. A jolly holiday.
Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Uh, yeah, so, well, speaking problem. of then stretching your abilities, is, do you want to do animation? See how far you can stretch your talents in that respect? I love it all. I mean, um, my uh, one of my role models is a guy named David Kay. Do you know David? Um, see, nobody knows our names, but uh, he is a terrific talent. Okay, uh, I mean, um, we know your voices. Yeah, you, you would know his voice. I we mean, all know Don LaFontaine. I mean, that's, of course, that's, that's like the a, one name. He's the legend. <laughs> Maybe Joe Cipriano. You've probably heard of him because um, he's the voice of Fox and NBC for so many years, and CBS. And he, he he's a good friend, and he's been a real mentor to me. So it's that's I, a I, side I, question, but yeah, are you guys like? Oh a, yeah, a I, I won't. I won't get into it then. No, but that's all right. But are you guys like a brotherhood <laughs> or? I mean, it's it's like any world where, you know, it's like if you're a troupe of actors doing a theater, a stage play, you become very close. Uh, but, but, you know, that, that happens to do with just surface area because you're together so long and, and you're doing something together and you know it's going to end. So there's that sense of tightness. But, yeah, it is a small it's a small band um, of men and women because, you know, women do at least as much promo as men these days, not so much trailer, but that's that's changing as well. Um, but within the voiceover community, a lot of my friends are in the animation world and the gaming world and all that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, we are, we're, we're pretty tight. There's a lot of competition and people are competitive by nature, but at the same time, it's very supportive. The analogy I use is that if you're going to compare it to a professional sports franchises, it's more like golf than it is, say, like uh, football, you know, where, where the competition is so fierce that people are always talking each other down in, in some of the sports like football or baseball or boxing, whatever you want to call it. But in golf, people actually will say, oh, let me show you my new stroke. This might help you with that. You know, they actually, at least on the surface, are very nice to each other, even though they're fiercely competing with each other every Sunday. Okay, so then animation in your future? Yay, nay. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. I've done a little bit of it, um, but, you know, it's, it's not something I focused on. But, yeah, I sure hope that comes around. Can you even go to like a loud concert or sporting event? Do you worry like if I scream and yell, it's oh, I'm done. Like you're noting smoke, I assume. No, I don't. Um, I did at one point in my life, but it was before voiceover. Um, I do. Uh, it's tough when you just go to a, a restaurant sometimes yeah. because you know the decibels get up there, and pretty soon you're going. You know, you're really pushing, and and then I if I have to do something. At night, it's fine because I'll be fine by the morning. But if I have to record or might have to record, I might get called in. I'm very careful. Uh, and yeah, with concerts, it can be really tough because I have to be like like this and, sh and smiling and nodding instead of, you know, having the craziness that everyone else is having, yeah. which isn't really <laughs> me anyway. <laughs> and uh, one of my final questions, what is the what is the uh, recognition in your field? Is it a Clio? How do you guys? Like... I mean, there are Golden Trailer Awards, but that's more about the people who put them together. There are uh, there are Clio's, and I've been a, a part of that because a lot of the production houses will put together reels or supporting bits that they use a lot of the promo and trailer talents to to voice. So sometimes I'll be a part of that, um, like sizzle reels and all that. But there's no like there's no Emmy for. Uh, for voiceover promos, you know, there's, there's no, uh, Oscar, you know, for it, yeah. it, it really is the more the promotion of the work. It's not the work. Is there one for narration though? Cause you said you've done narration. Oh, there uh, are Audi, Audi, um, there are of course the audio awards for, for audio books, which are very prestigious. Um, yeah. but uh, I've only done the one book. So anyway. like if you narrated a national geographic documentary or something, is there any, 
Yeah, there's there are there are Emmys that are tangential. Tangent. Yeah, I'm having a tough time talking, guys. I must have been the three scotches I had. No, uh, <laughs> it's tough when your scotches are six. Okay. <laughs> yeah, nicely done. I might use that. Um, but what was I going to say? There are, in fact, Anthony Mendez and Dan Nachtrab are two fantastic talents. You probably know Anthony from the voice uh, of the uh, Jane the Virgin, and Dan is largely the voice of National Geographic, so it ties into your question. But they they do a lot of narration, and we were we were kind of decrying the fact that there's no award specifically for that in the Emmys, which we think there should be. Just and like I, there I should be a, that. I just like there should be a stunt Oscar, and there should be a casting Oscar. But, absolutely, yeah, a there's a lot Oscar. of there's yeah, casting is so that. critical. I mean, yeah. of course, exactly. absolutely, I agree with you. Uh, it must be with all the mediums that we have now: movies, TV, video games proliferation of streaming the opportunities opportunities have to be enormous for voiceover work you guys must have, must be growing exponentially see i got that word out <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I see how you're showing off and i mean it's it's vulgar it's vulgar <laughs> but the, the truth is it is expanding but it's also uh diluting in the sense that because there's so much work and there's so many networks that they don't have to pay top dollar for everything they do now. Okay. Um, there's also the struggle between union and non-union, which which uh, sometimes things are not uh, considered jurisdictional, and so the union doesn't have a say. But a lot of times there's competition between getting people who are non-union, they get them cheaper, they don't have to pay um, residuals, they don't have to pay um, uh, health and welfare, you know, that type of stuff, pension. Right. Uh, but there are more opportunities but the, the numbers for each opportunity are mostly down, I would say, compared to the way it used to be. Okay. I mean, people in the trailer business used to make millions. You know, I, it, it, some of the guys who are still in it have known that world. And you, I'm not saying you can't make a lot of money, but the, the crazy numbers that used to be the case when Don LaFontaine was the head honcho, um, I think those days are behind us. Really? Yeah. Well, now with with the non-union workers, do what is there like a way that they get grandfathered in sometimes if they've done X amount of stuff or how does that work? Um, well, there's um, the way you get into the union. It's like every, everything's bootstrapping yourself. You can't become a trailer guy until you've done trailers. You can't become a union person until you've done union work. But there's always there's got to be a way. Right. And usually there's a, a yeah. Kraft Hartley rule where if you get cast in a union commercial, say, and that's usually how it happens. Um, then you become SAG, Screen Actors Guild, uh -huh. union eligible. If you work again um, in another commercial, then you have to join. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's, there's a rule about that. And until that time comes, you can do as many non-union things as you want. For me, because I wanted to get into trailers, um, and, uh, which is you have to be SAG for that, um, I knew I wanted to join right away, and I did. As soon as I got my first SAG commercial, I was like, yeah, I'm joining. A lot of people don't want to because it's expensive to join. <laughs> yeah, true. that is true. Oh, no. um, I want to get to the, to the wacky bits I was telling you about. But yeah. Before I do, let's touch on Dan's book real quick. Someone to watch over me. We had Dan Bronson uh, come on here with his. Yeah, there it is. With so <laughs> <Yeah>. many, uh, <clears throat> so many Hollywood stories. We had to do two episodes. We broke it in half. So my question is, uh, when you were recording this um audiobook was dan around and if so did you get anything done i didn't let him touch me go anywhere near me no no he, 
Dan was wonderful because first of all, you know, we got in touch through um, our, our, our mutual buddy, Matthew Arkin. And um, he asked, he asked Matthew, Hey, do you know anybody who'd be good for this? And Matthew said, I know a few people. So Matthew calls me, he says, look, I know you don't do audiobooks, and you, I don't know if you'd be interested in it, but would you check this out and see if you would be? And I was like, I, I don't want to do an audiobook, but I'll, I'll look at it. And instantly I was like, Oh my God, I want to do it because it, it marries so much of what I love. It marries Hollywood, 1940s Hollywood, which is yeah. you know, the golden era, which is even awesome. better. And then film noir detective guy. And I'm thinking, and I would be that guy? Heck yeah, I want to do this thing. <laughs> and the guy's the main character is Jack Shannon, so he's got an awesome name, you know, Jack. That is an awesome name. Um, but uh, well, as soon as like, I read the first chapter, I'm like, I'm doing this. I love it. Yeah, just like your name, Jack Daniel. You must be <laughs> so many people asking about that. Yeah, it's also my dad's name. So um, I, I'm convinced he named me the same name because he wanted to deflect some of the humor being directed his way. <laughs> yeah, it's enough it, already. I can't tell you how many times people have said, oh, my God, do you know a guy named Jim Beam? You know, when I meet them. And so my reaction is always like, I don't follow. What, why? Jim, what? And then they're like, oh, no, you don't. You've never heard that before. And then I laugh. at it. <laughs> yeah. I love it because people remember my name. So why not? Uh, I think it's a cool name. Yeah. Uh, well, it's people don't get that it's possessive too on the bottle. That's absolutely right. It is Jack Daniels yeah. whiskey. He owns the whiskey. It's his whiskey. People right. think it's Jack Daniels like Charlie Daniels. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, little... So my name is actually correct. And, and people are always, and I will, I've gotten contracts written with Jack Daniels on it and it's close enough, but still it's like you say, it's, it's the correct name is Jack Daniel. Yeah. And when I talk to people about having talked to you, they went, is that his real name? Right. <laughs> well, I'll give you a, a secret is that uh, my given name is John, but you know, like many okay. Johns uh, or most Jacks are Johns. Not right, too much right. these days because people are naming their kids Jack. Uh -huh. But you know, I was one of the Johns who's always been Jack since I was a baby. Hmm. But my SAG name is Jack Daniel, so I guess that's official. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, someone to watch over me is on Amazon and Audible. One of the reasons we're talking to you today, let's celebrate that. Of course, we were talked when the book first came out, and now the audio book is out. And you can go hear uh, Jack do his thing. It's great. The, another great. way to catch that great story. But it is a great story. we had Becca Bateau on here, who is a friend, and did the audiobook for Fifty Shades of Grey. So wow. I wanted her to bring sexy to things like I had to read Dr. Seuss's Hop on Pop, like the terms <laughs> and conditions from iTunes, you know, and she made him sexy. Yeah. So I would like you right. to bring Gravitas. Oh, boy. The uh, things right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, that I'm sending you here in the chat. Go ahead and give him a read and let's hear how you can give them the okay. gravitas. Uh, this is a train announcement. This information is for passengers waiting at platform nine for the 245 with service to Terre Haute. We apologize that this train is running approximately 20 minutes late due to rail obstruction between Bloomington and Decatur. Temporary speed restrictions have been applied for safety reasons. Delays will be kept to a minimum. <laughs> I would. <laughs> You're I would, hired. <laughs> I guess, but I would just get off the train stage. I'd just go out on the street. Hey, cat taxi. <laughs> the train. The train is super intense. Uh, All right. Uh, you told me you had something fun for me. That's pretty fun. Well, how about this? Can you add okay. gravitas, uh, gravitas, gravitas, to something that Kim Kardashian said? <laughs> <laughs> If I don't feel confident about my body, 
I'm not going to sit at home and feel sorry for myself and not do something about it. It's all about taking action and not being lazy. So you do the work, whether it's fitness or whatever. It's about getting up, motivating yourself, and just doing it. At the end of the day, life is about being happy, being who you are, rather. And I feel like we are so blessed to have the support system and the best family to really just support each other, no matter what we're going through. I got to tell you right now, I don't care about anything Kim Kardashian says, but <laughs> I did just now. <laughs> I'm, I'm laying it on pretty thick, as you guys can tell. Maybe she yeah. should. I'll start caring. Right now, I just do not. All right. And the last thing I'd like to see if you can bring Gravitas to is an entry from the 1984 World Book Encyclopedia on Senator Alan Cranston. Can that be interesting? Let's find out. A three-term member of the United States Senate from California, Cranston campaigned vigorously in 1983 for the 1984 Democratic presidential nomination. Cranston emerged as a serious contender by winning Democratic straw polls in California, Wisconsin, and Alabama. He picked up early support among voters by coming out strongly for a freeze on the deployment of nuclear weapons. Cranston, July. <laughs> you know what? From that, you're probably going to get a, a ton of calls from politicians. <laughs> I just did a I did a pack ad uh, this week that was a very um, dark and sinister voice. Oh God! Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I even hate to even ask. <laughs> Scare the voters, no doubt. <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you the question I ask everybody who I talk to, and from the movie guys, and that is, what is your favorite movie? of all time i do have that answer um it's blade runner the original blade runner nice I've always always adored that movie um and it's kind of been a part of my my life you know it's just uh i keep watching it i keep going back to it as you know as i get older it still has the same immediacy for me um for all its little flaws i just think it was a brilliant brilliant movie and i also like the newer version with uh, ryan gosling I'm just going to ask, as far as Blade Runner goes, which <laughs> Ridley Scott has like numerous edits of this. So, yeah. which version do you prefer? <laughs> I mean, myself, I, I I love the original, and it's the original for me too. Okay. I just I think part of the dialogue it seems a little campy, maybe, but honestly, that was part of what drew me into it. And I've seen the other version because I have the Blu-ray with all the versions. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting, too. But maybe because it's just what I was steeped in that I prefer that original version with the, the dialogue. I think the dialogue actually helps you understand who Deckard is, you know, what, what he's about. And also gives rise to, to questions you might not see if, 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 the, if that dialogue wasn't part of it or monologue. Yeah. Do you have the 4K of, of Blade Runner? I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's mind-blowing. Yeah, I never. That print is like pristine. It looks like a brand new movie. It it does, and it, it it does so much for the sound as well. And twenty forty nine is, <clears throat> it's tough because it, it'll always be seen as derivative. But I really believe they did a fantastic job with that movie. Um, it's, it's not so as sad. it's not as it's scary so because there was a time and a place. Yeah, it's more sad. I think, <laughs> so but uh, it's beautiful. Just just beautiful movie. And I, you know what? Now that you guys brought up The Exorcist, that's got to be one of my top, top ten at least. I would say, it's just it's a nearly perfect movie. I'm with you on the the time yeah. spent with a movie. Usually, my favorite movie ever is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, and what a terrific movie! But I mean, time spent with it, like 
I love La La Land. I love No Country for Old Men. I got a bunch of modern classics I love, but they're not going to top that because of time spent. I mean, every year I watch Raiders here in LA somewhere. It's on a big screen. Even last year, right. when everything yeah. shut down, the drive-in, I went out and I checked it out. So yeah, uh, yeah that, that becomes it's a part of it. Perfect movie, I'd say, as, as close as it gets. I mean, come on, Spielberg. It's at the top of his game in that movie. Absolutely. And everyone is. Everything comes together. I mean, Harrison Ford, he's, he's, you know, he's beautiful. He's, he's, he's fascinating. He's funny as hell. I mean, everything comes together. Yeah. All right. Well, Hey, um, that's going to go down. We'll put that in the, in the, in the, what am I thinking of? In the journal of all the favorite movies (laughs) I've asked here, and you're not the first one to say Blade Runner. Oh, really? I'm curious. Many Uh, times. Godfather comes up a lot. Yeah. Um, Blade Runner comes up a lot. Big Lebowski comes up a lot. Oh, yeah. Empire Strikes Back, you know. Yeah. And yeah. my favorite is Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, God. I think I, I we mentioned, we actually talked about this, Ray, but I had the big movie poster, the original movie poster of oh, Lawrence of Arabia, but in one of my moves, it got lifted. So it made me sad because it was huge and it was, like a, it was like a huge banner, right? Well, it was it was vertically oriented, vertically so it was a regular right movie poster type, but it was okay. just humongous. It was as at least as big as one of these panels here, which are six feet or so. I don't know. Yeah, first time I saw that one was on the big screen. The f- oh, how lucky you were! Anniversary thirtieth uh, anniversary, I think. Oh boy, back in like ninety two. Because I saw the no, this was ninety two. I was back in Buffalo, but oh, I saw it at the Cinerama Dome, and it was like oh, I can imagine. Yeah, you were there in the sand. It was phenomenal. Oh man, we got to make I'm so torn up that they're getting rid of the dome. I'm just uh. well, hold hope. There's people who want to save it, so hopefully so. that happens. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, follow us on Twitter at the Movie Guys, Facebook.com/slash the Movie Guys, and you'll find this interview and many others like it on iTunes, uh, Podbean. Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, the whole deal. And thanks to Jack Daniel. Now, Jack, yeah. uh, at Jack Daniel VO, pretty much all over your... Uh, yeah, that, that gets you wherever, Instagram, Twitter, um, you know, Facebook. I, I think that's like my thing for everything. And Jan- Jack Daniel It's not my password to my bank account, just to be clear. Right. That would be unwise. JackDanielVO.com as well to find everything uh, you're up to and watch the funny bit on there you did for uh cruella for um the late late show and so if you oh, want to see yeah. something jack's done recently he did a fake trailer that james corden put together with the jonas brothers what other this is a thing that i've done we've done on the movie guys all the time i even just posted one yesterday to social but what other villains need origin stories or don't <laughs> in the disney universe the thing i posted yesterday was about the villain the the demon Chernabog from Fantasia, you know, who like, but he yeah. started out as Lil Demon and nobody understood him. And you know. <laughs> they already did that with Hellboy. <laughs> yeah, That's I right. know they did. Yeah. But there you go. Yeah, who knows if the comics did that or not? But anyway, it's a funny bit. Check that out on that website. And as ever, you can find everything we're up to, including reviews, articles, and more interviews and podcast appearances. Adam and I are all over the place, appear on different podcasts, and of course at themovieguys.net. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. I had a great time, guys. Thank you. Take care, Jack. All right, you too.